0: All right, if, if I were to um, read this statement to you this morning, how many of you know where this um, comes from? Uh, it says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Okay, about three of you out there, okay? That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty... And pursuit of happiness. Very good. So these are the words from the Declaration of Independence in 1776. And the question that we're going to be diving into over the next month is, are we happy? Now, it's in our Declaration of Independence, and we have the right to be happy, but are we happy? And so as I was researching uh, these series of messages, I, I really wanted to research is America happy? Because we have the highest, one of the highest standards of living in the world. And you would think because of that, Americans would be probably the most happy people on earth. But, but are we? And the answer is a resounding no, as research shows. Research shows that one in 10 Americans are depressed. And one would think with the standard of living that we have more people would be happy. But that's not the case. In fact, last year, $11 billion was spent on the self-help market. $11 billion on self-help market last year. People are looking for the answers to their unhappiness, something is amiss. I was—I um, forgot where I was, but I, I saw this magazine article. It was in the New York Magazine. And the article caught my attention because the um, article was titled this way. It said, The Self and Self-Help. And, it's, and, it, and it, it went on to say this, we have no idea what self is, so how do we fix it? So I was very interested in that. So I, I began to read the article. And basically the author uh, analyzed all different strategies and how to help ourselves and to make ourselves happy. And this author um, overcame some depression in her life. And, and so she went through this whole plethora of things to try to help her to overcome her depression. And she came to the conclusion that not one thing works. That at the end of the article, um, really didn't give any really answers. But it just said, try everything and hope that something will work. Just hope that something will work. So, so are we hoping that something will Work. I was reading through some uh, book titles on happiness, and here were some of the book titles. Um, the Happiness Project, You Can Heal Your Life, The Power of Positive Thinking. Another book said, Blink, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking. <laughs> Sounds like my three teenagers. Um, the next one, Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy. What you do is you put on a mood ring, right? Remember those mood rings and whatever color it is is what you're feeling. Um, uh, another one said, the gift of imperfection. Let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. Hmm, that sounds good, doesn't it? For 1995, 95 And if you buy now, you can get the book, The Happiness Pro." No, I'm... Uh, I could go on and on it 's amazing the amount of books that that are just on uh, happiness and self help and so what I want to do is I want to dive into this topic of happiness and and really look at what is the source of happiness. Can I find happiness and and I believe for us to have the correct understanding of happiness, we have to move away from what we believe is the source of happiness and really see what 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 really is. Joy. What, what is the, the true meaning of joy? The, the dictionary defines happiness as maybe good fortune or prosperity, it says, or the state of well-being and contentment, uh, pleasurable or satisfying experience. That's what the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary defined, defines it. The problem in our pursuit of happiness is, are we looking to those things as the source of our happiness, or can those things actually be the byproduct of happiness. And so I, I think what happens is we bark up the wrong tree and we look for things in this world to to convince ourselves that this is going to be the source of my happiness and my joy. So maybe in order to be happy, we look at the source of maybe an experience. If I could go on a nice vacation, maybe this would make me happy. Or if, if my job were more enjoyable, that would make me happy. Or if I, if I lived in Hawaii. I think that would make me happy. Actually, if we lived in Hawaii after this February, right? Um, those are things we think about. Maybe, maybe an experience. If I had a different experience, that maybe that's the key or the source to my happiness. Or maybe we look for happiness in a in a person. Um, if if my spouse were more ideal, I would be happy. If my family situation were better, I would be happy. If I just find the right person, I will be happy. Maybe that's the source. Maybe that's the key, maybe we look for happiness in material things, if I just had the new iPhone or um, if I were just to get the new Samsung Galaxy, this is the four. This thing is ancient now. this thing is almost two years old, and it 's a piece of junk no, i 'm just no i can 't wait to get the six right that 's going to make me happy if I just get the new Samsung Galaxy or the new iphone maybe 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 these things will make me happy, maybe a better car, a better home. Um, these things. Um, and we have to realize that, that these things in themselves are not necessarily wrong, but are we using them to fulfill this void of, of another thing to try to make me happy? Maybe, maybe we look um, to ourselves to find happiness. If I was taller, smaller, skinnier, more popular, I wish my hair was different. I wish I had hair. If, if I could just be more athletic or smarter, all these things are going to make me uh, more happy. And, and what's driving the pursuit of our happiness? Is it, is it our emotions? Is it our feelings? Is it our insecurity? You see, are we looking to those things for the source of our happiness, the experience, a person, material things within ourselves? See, that's what the world's telling us to do. If, if you can find the source of one of these things, then, then the residual effect is it's going to make you happy. But But what statistics are telling us is Those things aren't making us happy. There's something wrong with it. There's this endless pursuit of these things to try to find enjoyment and peace in our life. And and maybe we look at these things and we say, well, I like the way these things make me feel, or maybe they make us feel important or significant or valuable, but at the end of the day, um, not necessarily making us more happy. So what is the issue? What is the issue? What, What are we looking for? Well, are we looking for external things to fix an internal problem. So the thing that I, 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 I disagree with that article I talked about at the beginning is that we're looking for external things to try to fix an internal problem. We're trying to put a Band-Aid on something that is much worse. And so it, it, is, it, is it as simple as... I remember when I was in college, there was this really super popular song that came out that basically said this, Don't worry be happy. How many remember that song? Remember the guy just whistled through the whole thing and made like a billion dollars by whistling, right? Don't worry, be... And that was like a super, super popular song. And so here we are, we're, we're thinking, well, is it as simple as just don't worry, be happy? Are we trying to find these external things to, to fix the internal problem in, in our life? And it, what, what, it, what basically those things do is, Using the external things or these these outward things to fix an internal problem is like trying to fill a, a bottomless hole and it 's like you know I remember as a kid of uh, going to Seabreeze and riding the um the the merry go round and back then they had this brass ring that you could if you were tall enough, you could grab this brass ring and see how many you could you could actually catch now, as a little kid, I was never tall enough to grab the brass ring and I had a really tall neighbor who was like six foot five that could just grab all of them. It was so cool. And, and he would grab, and I would always remember you just, it was just out of reach that, that brass ring is out of reach. And I think so many times we feel like that way in our happiness. It's so close, but it just seems so out of reach. But what What is the problem? Well, the problem is, is not out there, right? To try to find something to, to fix our lives. The problem is in here. The problem starts with our hearts. In fact, Jeremiah the prophet said it so many years ago in Jeremiah 17.9. He says, the heart is desperately sick. It's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? You see, these external things can never fix our heart. In order to find the right kind of happiness or joy, we have to start with our heart. And so the key to happiness and joy in our lives starts here, not out here. It's not about a, a, a move, a different location, better things in our lives. None of those things are wrong within themselves, but that's not the start. The start is not out there. The start has to be right here in our heart. So I want to jump into it, and I want to look into the Bible and see principles that, that are at work in the Bible that is the very heart of God. So let me just say, say this statement, because this is basically going to be the statement over the next month. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. But I believe this and for what we see in the principles of the word of God, a happy heart is a giving heart. A happy heart, right? A joyful heart is a giving heart. It, 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 it's it got to start from within here. And if you if you want your life to be blessed, if you want to find that joy in your life, it has to start there because this is at the core of the gospel message, this is at the core of the message that God gives us through His Son Jesus, and it's so simple. And, and the simplicity of John three sixteen says this: For God so loved the world that He did what? There's something in God's heart. There was a joy in God's heart to give to us something that 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 we didn't earn, that we didn't deserve, but out of God's love, He gave us who? He gave us His Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. At the core of God's heart is this giving heart, something that we don't deserve, something that we haven't earned. God gives us his son out of what? Out of his love. So what did God do? He gave us his son out of what? Out of his love. For what reason? Well, Paul explains it a little further in Romans 5 eight, where he says, but God shows us or demonstrates his love for us. He just didn't give it, lip service, God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still, what? Sinners, Christ died for us. And so God didn't, didn't wait. God didn't wait for me to get my life all in order and perfect. What God did was he demonstrates, he shows his love for us that while we were still sinners in our condemned state, he sends his son out of this love for us, out of this joy to give to us. That's the heart of of God. And at the at the core of every human being is a heart that is sinful, that is wayward from God. And God knew this. God knew that that fixing our heart wouldn't come with giving us a higher standard of living. Right? God knew that. God God knew that that wouldn't fix it. Fixing our hearts is not better education. All those things are fine, but he knew if it doesn't start at the core of our heart, the problem in our world today is not out there, it's here. And it's amazing how we tried to mandate morality on the outside, and how many know that ain't working? Right? How many know that at the core of it, unless. Why was the church so powerful in its early stages? Why did it affect the society around them? What was going on? Because they mandated some moral codes that everybody had to follow, whether they liked it or not? Was it that they changed the government so the government would mandate these moral codes so that everybody could follow? What changed their society was that people came to the Lord and God changed their lives from the inside out. And when God changed their life, there should have been amen there, but that's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll give you a chance next time, okay? But listen, What happened in the early church is God began to change people's lives and their lives became transformed, which then began to affect the society around them and radically change the society around them. So at the core of every human being is a sinful heart. And so we try to cover it through our own goodness and and we've willingly rebelled against God. And in order to cover that sinful heart, what we end up doing is, is we look for pseudo things to try to fix it. We look for things that are, that are fake and false to try to fix and to cover our sinful hearts. We work and we strive and we achieve to make ourselves look good. We allow our success and achievement to be the litmus test on how well we are doing and then we place our whole identity in these things and so in America, we have a huge identity crisis and we 're going we 're going to really jump into that um, in in later spring early summer we 're going we 're going to dive into the book of Ephesians and really look at at who are we? Really, who are we? And how do we discover ourselves? And how do we really find who we are in Christ? And so in America, we have a huge identity crisis. And what we do is we, we, we place our value and our identity on these external things, on our achievements and, and, and what we've accomplished in our lives and we place our whole identity in these things and 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 from this we 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 gain like the we we think we have some type of status by maybe the type of house we live in or the car we drive or where we live or the clothes that we wear or how well that our children turn out but no matter how well we do in this world it can never satisfy or, or cover our sinful hearts And and this is why those things can never satisfy. That's why America spends $11 billion on the self-help industry. Something is wrong. Something's amiss because we're going to the wrong well. You know, and and maybe some of us have even felt this way in our life. We we look at our life. Now, tomorrow I'm turning 49. So I have one more year of freedom, right? And so supposedly 49.50 is when you hit the midlife crisis. So next week, if you see me driving into church in a Harley, right? You know, I hit it. You know, I hit the midlife crisis. All right. Um, which I would love a Harley. But anyways, uh, my wife forbids it. But anyways, um, otherwise I'll be a single man. Um, so here, here's the thing. We look back. So what happens is when you get somebody my age, right? Um, you tend to look back over your life. Right When you're younger, you're looking forward and you say, man, I've got all these things ahead of me and life is going to be great. And then all of a sudden you get and then you start looking back. and You're like, well, what really did I do with my life? Things haven't really turned out the way I thought they would back when I was in my 20s. You know, maybe you didn't plan for the divorce or your kids are struggling or your job's not what it's all cracked up to be. You see... Whether successful or not, you know, many get to the end of their lives and they still feel empty. Why? Because it comes from a heart that's not fulfilled. And, and what Jesus came to do is he came to heal and to fix our broken lives. To, to heal the scars that sin left behind. And, and Jesus came and had joy in fulfilling the Father's will. He actually had joy And fulfilling what the Lord wanted him to do. Even though it meant sacrificing his own life. Because Jesus knew full in advance what it would accomplish for you and I. That it would set us free from us trying to use the world to falsely believe that it's going to satisfy or cover our sinful hearts. Jesus did this for you and I. I love this passage in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. And it says this. It says the Hebrew writer is, is, is encouraging these persecuted Hebrew believers to, to look to Jesus for their joy, not to look at their persecution, not to look at their life circumstances that they're going through. But what he's doing is he's encouraging them to say, look to Christ and look what he did for you. Not only look for what he did to you for you, but look to how he did it and, and, and how he had a sense of joy in accomplishing the Father's will. And I love what the Hebrew writer says here. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, enduring the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, to human understanding, this verse makes no sense because why would there be joy in facing the cross and suffering? Because basically, um, the cross was such a shameful thing. Crucifixion was performed naked and in public to bring uh, humiliation. He suffered for us taking on our sins and literally taking on the wrath of God. Now, what the Hebrew writer says here is that he actually did it with joy. He took on this suffering with joy. How can Jesus take on this suffering with joy? Because it was such a horrible situation that he was faced with. The reason why Jesus could take it on with joy, because he knew he was obeying the father and he knew the, what the end result would be for you and I. He knew that his sacrifice would set us free. From the bondage of sin and, and the deadly effects that sin has on our life. And Jesus came to set us free from those things. Jesus came to set us free from trying to find our identity in the world. Jesus came to set us free to to lay down all our ambitions and all these things that we've tried to accomplish in our lives. Even the Apostle Paul says, I look at my past life and, and, and I was pretty much perfect in everything I did and accomplished so many things. But I look at that stuff as rubbish in comparison to what I have now in Jesus Christ. I mean, it's not wrong to pursue things. It's not wrong to, be, uh, to do well at the things that we do. But if it's apart from Christ, and if we're using those things to try to fulfill happiness in our lives, those things are going to be short-ended. Those things aren't going to last. And we're going to be looking for the next thing to fulfill our hearts. So how could Jesus endure all this? His, his shame and his suffering resulted in our perfection, the Bible says. And Jesus knew giving his life. Would mean our ultimate redemption from sin. So here's what what I want us to see. Instead of trying to find this ultimate happiness. That seems so elusive. um, Let's look at happiness from God's perspective. Because happiness for us in the world. Is so often based in our circumstances. Which change all the time. How many know that your circumstances change all the time. They change all the time. Every day has a, has a new sense. And if, if, if our joy and our happiness is is based in our circumstances, how many know that's not going to last very long? If, if my joy is based in my circumstances and whether or not things are going my way, how many know give it long enough and not everything's going to be going your way? There's Something's going to happen that's going to throw your life into a kilter and it's going to rock your boat. And it's going to show the depth of what you're trusting. So if if I'm trusting my circumstances to bring me joy, um, that joy is not going to be very deep. That happiness is not going to be very deep because it's based in something that's not secure. And so our happiness is so often based in our circumstances. But a joyful heart, if we're going to really... Get to the depth of happiness. And being a solid foundation in in our heart. Has to look beyond our circumstances. See at the root of true happiness. Is the knowledge. Of knowing what Jesus Christ did for me. It's a knowledge of knowing that I've been forgiven. That God gave everything to reach me. That nothing can compare to that. No amount of money could ever buy that. And here's what Jesus says in Mark 8.36. It says what good is it. For a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul. What good is it? And we've got men and women that are are pursuing this world to try to gain something in this world, but in the end, no one takes anything with them. But yet we put so much security and stock in the things in this world to make us happy, but in the end, the only thing we have is our soul. And I think Jesus makes a wonderful statement here. What good is it if we gain the whole world but yet forfeit our soul. And meanwhile, we're spending so much time trying to find our happiness and gaining this world. So when I understand that what Christ did for me and and the length that God went to, to reach me and to forgive me, it changes my whole perspective of this world. And this is what I want you to say. I want to read a passage to you because, um, Many of you have read this passage, but it's been taught to you incorrectly. So I want to change your teaching and your understanding about this verse. Because this verse is not what you think it is. Or many of you have heard this verse taught in a certain way. And it's not what you think it is. So I want to correct your understanding here. Because this has everything to do with our happiness and our joy. Because it changes our perspective in the way we look at things. And this is Jesus speaking in Luke 6, 37 and 38. And let me read this to you because this is very interesting. And I believe, now you're going to look at this verse, and you're going to say, what does this verse have to do with happiness and my joy? It has everything to do with it. This verse is going to be the foundation for what we talk about in the next several weeks. This is so important. Let's see what Jesus says here. Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure... Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. All right, what does this verse mean? How many of you have ever heard this taught or preached in the context of money? Right. This verse has nothing to do with money. This verse has everything to do with your heart. So, so let, let's, let's look at the context of this. Um, um, how many of you have heard this verse and this verse was thrown in your face when you had to correct somebody? And they said, don't judge me. Who do you think you are to judge me? It, this Bible says, don't judge or you too, right? Don't judge, don't judge me. Here, I give you a Bible verse and many times we've taken that out of context. But what's going on here? These verses are all about the heart not money it's not the key to get rich in fact this is actually a farming term that Jesus's listeners would be very very familiar with and let me explain to you what's going on here Um, when the harvest was at hand the the owner would have have a crop and what the owner would do is he would have hired hands that would go out into the field and harvest the crop now, according to Jewish law, a, a good farmer or someone that would, would be listening to the Lord and, and honoring God would say, don't harvest the whole field. In fact, leave the edges of the field unharvested so that th- those that are poor and destitute can go and glean the edges of the harvest and the edges of the field so that they can have food for themselves and for their families. This was out of the generosity of the farmer to do this, and if you read the book of Ruth, that's exactly what she did with Naomi when she uh, was introduced to Boaz. That's exactly what happened there. And so, what we see is we see the edges of the field that were left unharvested, so that these uh, uh, poor people, those that were destitute, could go in and 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 glean from this harvest. Now, here's what's interesting: the harvester the farmer had his hired hands that would go in with these baskets and um, they would fill the basket and they would dump it wherever they needed to dump it on the threshing floor and then they'd go back and they'd do it over and over again. But now you've got these poor people that would come in. And I want you to think for a moment how a poor person would fill their basket in comparison to the hired hand. Do you think that the hired hand is going to fill his basket to overflowing, shaken down, pressed down, overflowing? He's hired. He's going to do the bare minimum. He's going to just fill that. He's not going to make it heavy. He doesn't want to hurt his back. He's just going to do the bare minimum to fill his basket and then, and then dump that grain or whatever that harvest is. Now think about the person that has one basket and has one shot to go in there, has this blessing to get food for themselves and their family. How do you think they're going to fill their basket? They're going to take that basket, and what they're going to do is they're going to shake it, right? They're going to press it down, and what they would do is they would have cloaks. So under that basket, their cloak would be under under that, and so the grain would actually be overflowing that basket into their cloak. So get the picture. Jesus is saying is what's happening is they're shaking it down, they're pressing it down and that, and that grain is overflowing into their cloak and they're walking out. Now, are they like the hired hand or are they joyful? Are they happy because of this blessing that's come in their life? Because here's what the person that was destitute or the person that was poor, that's getting this grain. What they're thinking now is, this isn't just a blessing for me. This blessing is going to overflow to who? My family, those are going to bless. You think the hired, hired help cares about that? They don't care. They're just going to do their job and get done with it. Do you think they're doing it with a joyful heart? Probably not. They're they're just the hired hand. But the person that's getting the blessing understands the blessing, and the blessing not only flows into their lives, but it's going to overflow into somebody else's life, their family's life, to bless them with food. That comes out of the blessing From the farmer who could have easily said, I'm going to keep all the grain for myself. I don't care about the poor. But he does care. And he's listening to God's word. So he leaves the fields uh, unharvested so those that are destitute can glean from those things. Because he has a good heart and he wants to bless others with the things that the Lord has blessed him. Do you think those people have a happy heart? Do you think that the farmer has a happy heart because he knows that he's blessed others because he's left his harvest field ungleaned? Do you think that the destitute person that's come in, that realizes this is a blessing from the Lord, that's a blessing from the farmer, that listened to the Lord to leave the fields um, unharvested so they could be blessed in their lives, do you think their heart is happy? Yes, it is. See, there's this giving heart. See, this is what they knew. They knew what a blessing it was, that this was going to give them food, that this was going to take care of their family. They knew this was a blessing from the Lord. They knew uh, they were grateful for this. They knew that it would bless others. This was given to them. They're grateful for this. They're grateful for the Lord's blessings. So this is what I want you to see this morning. What is it with a grateful heart? This is all about the heart. Jesus is saying, this is how I want you to live. And what he's saying in this verse, when you understand the lengths that God went to to forgive you, and you have a heart that's full of forgiveness, not only are you going to receive that forgiveness from the Lord, but then your life becomes a conduit where you begin to forgive others. This, this verse that Jesus speaks is all about our heart. He's saying, how dare you judge others? If, 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 if you're standing in this high seat that you think you're better than everybody else, then you haven't understood what the Lord has done for you. You've completely missed what God has done for you. You've missed the whole meaning of this. And a person that's received this mercy, And has received this grace in the Lord understands this where they're going to allow the forgiveness to flow out of their lives to somebody else. That's what this person understood that was destitute that went into the field. They understood that this blessing was flowing into their lives from someone else and that the blessing was going to go from their life to somebody else. The happiest people on earth understand this principle of giving. And I'm not just talking material giving or giving of your finances. I'm talking about the giving of your life. I'm talking about being able to forgive when people are unforgivable. There is, listen to me, because there's some of you here today that you've been holding on to the bitterness of your past. And and there's some things that have locked you in. And I say this all the time, you know, Unforgiveness is the poison that you drink waiting for the other person to die. And, and there's this bitterness and there's this anger in your heart because, because you're so mad at what this person has done for you and you can't offer this forgiveness. And what happens, when that happens, when we don't allow forgiveness to flow, irregard, that doesn't mean that the person gets off the hook or that doesn't mean what they did, you whitewash it and um, it's no longer uh, an issue. God deals with those things. But by you being able to forgive when someone is unforgivable or someone doesn't deserve forgiving according to the the world's standards, when you're able to do that, you release yourself from that situation. And you allow God's blessings to flow through your life. See, what Jesus is saying here is, he's saying, I just don't want the blessings in your life just to fill your basket. Say, okay, God, here's your blessings, and this is as far as it's going to go, and I'm not going to give anything more. What Jesus is saying is, I want the blessings to come in your life that are so overwhelming that it's shaken, that it's pressed, that it's overflowing in in your life, that it's overflowing into other people's lives, that you willingly forgive just as you have been forgiven. Listen, here's the key. Listen, 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 listen. Here's the key to a successful walk with the Lord. Here's the key to a joyful walk with Jesus Christ. When you bow your heart at the foot of the cross and you realize the lengths that Jesus went to to forgive you when we were so unforgivable, when we were steeped in our sins and our rebellion, when we refuse to forgive, what we're saying is, Jesus, I guess your death wasn't that great. See, when you understand the magnitude of the debt that was paid for your life, the response is this joy and this overwhelming gratitude that says, Jesus, what can I do for you now? How can I serve you? How can I be your servant? You know, what do I need to do in my life? I know that I'm going to have to take the high road sometimes. I'm going to have to turn the cheek sometimes. I'm going to have to offer unforgiveness when people don't deserve it. But see, that's out of response for what Jesus Christ has done for you. See, when you're able to do that, that's out of the response. You're you're getting it. You're understanding that Jesus forgave me so much, and now you know I'm going to be able to forgive also. That's at the core of it. When you get that, your life is going to be very joyful because now you're realizing, listen, chop! Now you're realizing that you're not entitled to anything. That you're not owed a thing. See, the problem in our life, the moment I feel like I'm entitled to something, that I deserve this, the minute God stops his blessings from flowing through your life, and we become stingy, and we become self-centered, and we block the flow of God's blessings in our life see the the this is the biggest oxymoron is a miserable christian it's it, it just makes no sense a, a miserable christian is the biggest oxymoron in the whole world it just, just makes no sense we literally should be the most happiest people on earth that doesn't mean listen that doesn't mean we don't struggle that, do, that doesn't mean we don't go through times of, of disappointment. That doesn't mean that, that we don't struggle with things. But at the root of everything, we know that we've been forgiven. At the root of everything, we know the lengths that Jesus Christ went through for us. And that we know that no matter what we go through here on this earth, we know that Christ is going to be with us. And he's going to walk with us through these things. That gives us a joy and a happiness because it's my joy now to serve Christ. Can you imagine? I heard the story of a man. I just want to finish with this. And I heard the story last week. I thought it was, it was apropos to the message. And I want to finish with this. Um, there's a man. And he he had his friend pick up his mail for him. And as he's picking up uh, the, the mail. He's got all these bills. And uh, his friend decides to pay one of his bills. So he tells his friend. He says, hey. I'm going to pay one of your bills. And the friend's like, okay. So he's thinking in the back of my mind, which bill is he going to pay? Is he going to pay the 20 cents overdue postage, which would be like, thanks a lot. That's nice. Appreciate it. All right, 20 cents. That's good. Thanks, man. Is he going to pay my um, gas and electric bill, which was pretty high in February, which was like, you know, $8,000 for February, right? Thank you. Appreciate that. You know, $300, whatever it was. I uh, appreciate that. Or is he going to pay? He's thinking back. Or is he going to pay my huge credit card debt? That was twenty thousand dollars. Which one did he pay? So you think the twenty cents would be like a handshake? Hey man, thanks for the twenty cents. Appreciate it, bro. Love you, man. Cheapskate. Anyways, um, you know, was it my electric bill? Which maybe you get a hug. And say, hey man, thanks, man. Wow, 200, 300 bucks, man. Thank you so much. Give him the hug. But what if he paid the twenty thousand dollar debt? That the man racked up on himself, that he made mistakes, that he blah, 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 for whatever reason. And his friend was willing to forgive a debt that he didn't rack up on his own. But that he freely paid it to set this man free from his debt that's been hanging over his head for years. How do you think the friend's response is going to be now when his friend pays his credit card debt of twenty or $30,000. What kind of joy is going to be in his heart and life now? You see, here's the thing. Until you realize the debt of your sin, which was limitless. That there's no way we could have ever forgiven it ourselves. Until we realize how far Christ went to forgive us we're not going to have the joy that we're looking for in this world. You see, when we can come to the realization of how far Christ went to pay our debt and we fall with happiness and joy because we are now set free from a sin, from a death that was headed to hell and eternity without Christ and we've been set free from that, how many of us should not come into church and lift our hands and say, thank you, God. How many of us every morning should wake up in the morning and say, thank you, God, for what you've done for me? I've made so many mistakes, God, but through your grace and your mercy, you still forgive me. You still accept me as your son and your daughter. How many of us should not lift up holy hands and thank God for what he's done for us? How many of us should not be willing, pressed down, shaken, and runneth over to forgive others who have sinned against us? See, that's where it gets really, really hard, right? And I'm learning this as I'm driving in Rochester. I'm learning it, right? I mean, just two weeks ago, we we talk about this a lot. I know I I talk about my frustration driving and stuff and my patience and everything else. And I remember there's, and I make so many mistakes, you know. I get irritated with drivers and so on and so forth. And that's why I don't have Christian bumper stickers on my car and blah, 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 (laughs) so I can drive fast and stuff. But listen, I can remember a couple weeks ago, there's a guy that came by. And I don't even really know what I did, but he came by me and he's beeping his horn and he's giving me the number one thing. And I go, yeah, I know I'm number one. Thank you, man. Right back at you. know, and, uh, and he's mad. And what was funny was, this was like in the city, and I was coming, I think, from a doctor's appointment. And it was in the city. And for some reason, we had, to f- he had to, we had to follow each other all the way, like for 15 miles. So we kept passing each other. And after a while, I think this guy felt embarrassed. He's like, man, I, either he knew who I was or that happens, and um, and every bit of me, right, says, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? I did nothing wrong, and he's screaming at me? You know what I mean? I'm like, pull over. Let's talk about this, man. <laughs> right? You know, you're like, that's what you're thinking in your heart. You're like, and, I, and it's at those moments where it's like, God, you've got to grip my heart because I'm angry and someone has come against me and who do they think they are? And it, it is amazing when you're a follower of Jesus Christ and at that moment, Christ just convicts your heart and he says, Barton, I just went, I went to the cross for you. I hung and bled for you. Who do you think you are by being offended by some crazy driver? What, what, and it's at that moment where you're just like, I just keep driving and say, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. God bless you. Hope to see you at church on Sunday. Hope there's a cop up there that's going to get you for speed. God bless you, right? See, it's at those moments where I have to swallow my pride, right? And say, Jesus, I've given that up when I came to you. I don't have those rights anymore to try to defend myself. That doesn't mean you become a doormat or anything of those natures. But but Lord, let me just go on my day. And I'll tell you what happened. And there's tons of times where I've blown it, blah, blah, blah. But I'll tell you, after that moment, it's like, you know, when you get done you're like, and after you think about it for 10, 15 minutes, like, it's like, I could have overreacted and it could have been the most stupidest thing in the whole, right? It could have just been dumb. And, but instead I say, "Lord, just take hold of my heart, because my joy's in you now. I've been forgiven. I don't have to defend myself anymore. I don't have to be somebody I'm not. And let me just fall back to the cross of Christ and what you've done for me. Listen, if you're lacking joy in your heart today, then I want you to come back to the cross. And understand the forgiveness that was given to you. If, if you're having difficulty forgiving someone else and what they've done to you in your life, whether it was deserved or undeserved, if you're having trouble forgiving that, once again, that doesn't uh, make it any less than it is and that they're not going to be held accountable for what they've done. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to make that any less. Please don't misunderstand me. But when you're able to forgive, it it breaks the chains off that situation and frees you up to embrace God's forgiveness and let it flow through your life that you can experience joy of a life that's been forgiven and a life that can offer forgiveness. You can, listen, you can only do that through Christ. He's the only one that can do it for you. There's nothing in this world that can do that for you. Where is your joy today? So I'm going to pray for you today. And what we're going to do is we're just going to, we're just going to, Makes it a time where we just we're going to sing in, in a, a wonderful, beautiful worship song today. If you need to come to the altars today and just pray and just seek the face of the Lord for maybe a situation that you're going to today, or maybe you just need to say, God, I just need to reestablish my relationship with you again. I just need to feel and understand your forgiveness again in my life, and and you want to make that a clean slate and a, and a fresh start. Well, God, He's here for you, and He wants to do that. And you can come up and pray. At the altars today, they'll be open to just to pray and to settle that in your own life. So let's, let's just make it right in our hearts today. Maybe right now, God's dropping somebody in your heart. Maybe right now, God's saying, you know what? You make that phone call. You need to write that letter. Take that act and let me bless your life. Let my, let my blessings flow through your life again. Obey the Lord in that and you will find his blessings. Press down pressed down, right? shaken down, pressed down, and running over, God is going to give it back to you. I'm telling you, it works. You're going to be like, I can't believe it. Pastor was right. I'm always right. No, I'm just kidding. God is always right. Amen? He's right. He just The Word of God just works. So just remember that you're not punishing anyone else by withholding forgiveness. You're just punishing yourself and stopping God's blessings from overflowing in your life. Let his blessings flow in your life so that you can find the joy that God is desiring to give to you.